Hello and welcome to Annual Reviews Audio, part of the conversation series from Annual Reviews, where insightful research begins. I'm your host, Anna Rasquat Paz. In each episode of our show, we feature top scientists in fields ranging from astrophysics to sociology. In this episode, Robert M. Seifarth, professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, talks about his article, The Evolutionary Origins of Friendship, which he co-wrote with Dorothy Cheney for the 2012 Annual Review of Psychology. In this lecture, he discusses the social behavior of baboons, including the link between close friendships and longevity. Dr. Seifarth describes how female baboons, wild mares, male chimpanzees, and female elephants help and support each other, favoring their survival and that of their offspring. So I'd like to tell you a bit about some of the recent research on animal friendships because it's yielded some interesting and surprising results. And the way I would like to introduce the topic is with a little bit of history. Um, And the history is about long-term research on baboons in Africa. Baboons live throughout Africa. They're one of the most successful primate species. They're primates closely related to humans. And in two sites in Africa, one in Kenya and one in Botswana, people have studied the same groups of baboons for 16, 20, 25, 30 years in one case. And baboons have a very interesting social organization. Um, when a young baboon grows up, if she's a female, she stays in the group where she was born throughout her life. She becomes adult at about age six and can live till she's 25 or 30. So she lives in a group with her female relatives, her sisters and her mother. Males, on the other hand, when they grow up, when they begin to get adult size around six, seven or eight, they leave the group where they were born and they go to join another group. Um, The females then make the core of the group and they can be arranged in a hierarchy of families. So a female has a dominance rank and so one female is the alpha female in the group, then she's the highest ranking and her daughters acquire ranks immediately below the mother. So the core of the group, these females, is a group of matrilineal families in which the daughters have inherited dominance ranks from their mothers. Males are different. They go off and then they fight their way to the top in their new groups. But we're talking about the females now primarily. And um, what's interesting is when we discovered this matrilineal rank hierarchy in the group and we found that it was stable with almost no changes for 15, 20, 30 years, We assumed that the females that were doing the best in evolutionary terms, that is the females whose offspring survived best and who lived the longest, would be the highest ranking females in the group because they seemed to have the best competitive ability. But it turned out not to be the case. And starting at about 2003, there were some surprising results that suggest that the best predictor of whether or not a female will do well in terms of producing offspring and surviving is not necessarily her dominance rank, but it's how tightly bonded she is with other females, how much she has close friendships particularly with the same females for year after year. So it was these social friendships among females that seemed to make a difference in evolutionary terms. 
And that was not only a surprise, but the exact same result emerged from both of these sites, thousands of miles apart. So something serious was going on. So we started to look at this uh, more closely and ask ourselves, what is it that a female baboon gets from having other females present? And the reason why we were intrigued by this is because these results with baboons are very much like the results coming out of long-term studies of human populations. There's a wonderful book called The Longevity Project that describes a 30-year study of humans in the United States and what makes them live long and happy lives. And it turns out the single most important thing is, are you closely bonded? Do you have close friendships with others? It's not wealth, it's not family size, it's how close your relationships are. The baboons are telling that this, this has been true for thousands of years during our evolutionary history. And it was a surprise to biologists because we've always known that in many animal species, male and female may form a monogamous pair bond and raise the offspring together, and their relations will be beautifully coordinated. Birds are a classic example, flying back and forth, feeding their young. But we never really encountered evidence that individuals of the same sex could also form relationships that didn't have to do with reproduction, but had to do with friendship. So what does it get? a female baboon to be closely bonded with others? Well, we don't actually know right now. There's some evidence that suggests that female baboons who are closely bonded with other females have lower glucocorticoid levels. And glucocorticoids is a hormone that you secrete when you're under stress. High glucocorticoids are not a good thing to have. Low glucocorticoids are much better. So it looks like friendships help reduce stress. How they do that is not entirely clear. Friends certainly groom a lot. They support each other in disputes. They tolerate each other in food sites. And they do so much more than do two females who aren't friends. So one of the benefits you get from having a friend is predictability, an ally, someone who's always there. And you could easily imagine how that might reduce stress. Um, so we're just beginning to understand how this works, but we certainly got, have evidence now that natural selection is favoring those individuals who can form these friendships over the individuals who can't. So that's baboons, but it turns out that a wide variety of data from many other species are telling us the same thing, that friendships are pervasive in the animal kingdom and having good friends helps you survive and reproduce. There are wild horses in the Carmog area in the south of France. The mares have, some have close relationships with other mares, and if they do, their foals survive better. Uh, chimpanzees, our closest animal relatives, have a social organization that's very different from that of baboons because instead of the males leaving and the females staying, it's the opposite. The females leave and the males stay. So the community has a group of brothers. Some of them, some of them are brothers, some of them are unrelated. And it turns out that among chimpanzee males, close bonds with a buddy help you reproduce. They help you acquire dominance rank through aggressive alliances, but they also are 
they help out in many different ways. Males who groom together often and support each other in alliances also share meat after the chimpanzees have killed a monkey. And they tolerate each other at, uh, at different locations. So, so they're, they're really closely bonded in the way female baboons are. And the same thing emerges with female elephants, who have a social organization a lot like baboons. Females stay, males leave. The females who have the strongest bonds with each other seem to do best in terms of raising their offspring. So this is all interesting because, um, first of all, it suggests that friendship is widespread in the animal community, that it's adaptive and has been favored by evolution, and that the evidence that we're getting for the importance of friendship in humans is really just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, the importance of friendship exists throughout the animal kingdom, and we're just another example of it. But it reminds us that that in humans, and in many species, the, the key to a long life and successful reproduction is the kinds of social links that you form. And that means that we should really pay attention to this in thinking of therapeutic techniques that can help humans live nicer and richer lives. Now, there are um, a number of questions that, that remain unanswered that scientists are now going to start trying to answer now that they know that these friendships exist. And one of them has to do with the mechanisms, how it it actually works. Is it just stress reduction? Um, Or is there something about companionship generally that makes you happier, gives you a better outlook on life? Um, In the baboons, one interesting thing that we found was that baboons seem to respond to a highly stressful situation by seeking out their friends, and if they don't have friends, by forming new friends. Here's an example. Um, Over the 16 years in which we've watched baboons in Botswana, we've often seen lions attack the group and kill one or more baboons. And when they do, everybody's glucocorticoid levels goes up. It's very stressful. But the females who lose a close female relative to the predator, their glucocorticoids go up the most. And in fact, when we saw a daughter lose her mother to a lion, we thought, well, what's she going to do? Her favorite grooming partner is gone. The one that she feeds with is gone. And we thought she'd just become a loner and um, be by herself and spiral downward. But in fact, the exact opposite happened. What she did was strike out and form new friendships with other females with whom she hadn't interacted before, as if she had the kind of personality that prompted her to seek out friends when she didn't have them. And as a result, her glucocorticoids went back down to baseline pretty quickly. So what is it that makes an individual confronted with a stressor like this, strike out and make new friends, whereas some other individuals don't. Um, We'd love to be able to identify that particular trait in non-human primates because it would give us maybe some insight into how this has evolved in humans. With all this talk of friendships, though, one question that you might have is, isn't this a little bit anthropomorphic? Aren't we taking a word like friendship and applying it to animals? 
when really the word just should be applied to humans? Well, that's an interesting question, and uh, one of the things that we've been working on with baboons, both ourselves and other people, is to ask whether the baboons themselves recognize the social relationships that exist among others, or is it just all anthropomorphism? And in fact, baboons are very aware of the close bonds that exist among others. Here's an example. If you've got two baboons in one of these groups sitting together, just resting, and you play them a vocalization of a juvenile who's the offspring of one of the baboons, if you play them that juvenile's vocalization, say a distress scream, then the mother, before the mother can react, the other female looks at the mother as if to say, that kid, I know that kid, it's your kid, what are you going to do about it? And Experiments like this allow us to detect that the baboons themselves recognize the relationships that exist, the close ties that bind family members, for example. Um, when you think about a dominance hierarchy, it's not unusual for baboons to hear a female, say, ranked three, with one being top, a female ranked three threatening another female and the other female screaming. And if you, turns out, if you play a recording of female three threatening female four and female four screaming, that the listeners won't respond very much because this happens all the time. But if you go to your library of sounds and create a situation in which four is threatening three and three is screaming, everybody looks right away because that represents a reversal of the usual order, which means the baboons know what the usual order is. So it's not anthropomorphic because actually the baboons themselves know about the relationships that exist among others. You've been listening to Annual Reviews Audio. For 80 years, Annual Reviews has guided scientists to the essential research literature in the biomedical, life, physical, and social sciences. Learn more at annualreviews.org. I'm Ana Rasquat Paz. Thanks for listening. <laughs>